Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, episode number 77. At the time of this recording, Bitcoins are trading at $405 each, and everybody's favorite digital currency, LTB coins, are trading at .00013 US dollars each. They're up, that's right. This is a great time to buy some LTB coins from Poloniex or any exchange that is currently in good standing. LTB coins are paid to content creators on the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast network. And you, the listener, can also earn some LTB coins just by listening to this show. Listen for the magic word, write it down, and then submit it as detailed in the show notes. And listeners, before we get started with the show, I'd like to share with you once again a website that I now visit on a regular basis to help keep me up to date with live streaming cryptocurrency prices. Check out CryptoCompare.com. This is the best resource I've found for looking at trends and for gaining valuable information about digital currencies, mining equipment, and wallets. Bookmark it now. CryptoCompare.com. Mm, mm, mm. Now that's gravy. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining me as I podcast from Nashville, Tennessee, the Bitcoin epicenter of the South. I'm your host, John Barrett, here each week with my trusty dog, Maxwell, right by my side. Say hello, Maxwell. We're two Bitcoin maniacs who love talking with people about Bitcoin and sharing what we learn with you, the listener. Long-time listeners, thank you once again for supporting the show with your tips. And new listeners, we hope you enjoy the show. On today's show, I am very happy to be speaking with Professor Campbell R. Harvey. Mr. Harvey is a professor of finance in the Fuqua School of Business at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. Professor Harvey is a trailblazer in that he is currently teaching an MBA course in blockchain technology and all things related. Listen now to this great conversation with an educator who truly cares about the future of finance and the power of disruptive technologies. Listeners, on today's show, I am very happy to be speaking with Professor Campbell R. Harvey. Professor Harvey is a teacher of finance in the Fuqua School of Business at Duke University there in Durham, North Carolina. Professor Harvey is a trailblazer in that he is currently teaching a course in blockchain technology. Professor Harvey, welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy. 
It's great to be on the show. Yes, sir. So when I first read about this, I got excited. I know there are a few universities out there that are offering courses in blockchain technology, but this is really exciting to me, as exciting as anything else going on in the Bitcoin or cryptocurrency world, um, the blockchain technology, the fact that we now have universities taking this seriously. Um, that's a great thing. So to start off with, tell us the title of the course and what the course covers. Sure. Um, this is actually the second year that I've taught this course. Uh, the course is called uh, Innovation and Cryptocurrency. Okay. Uh, when I taught it last year, interestingly enough, um, I had uh, 13 MBA students at the Fuqua School of Business. Mm -hmm. And this year, I have 76. Wow. <laughs> so a very large growth in the interest uh, in this particular technology. I am a professor of finance, but the course doesn't just deal with finance. So it deals with technology, strategy, um, and obviously uh, finance too. Okay. Wow. Now, <laughs> of course, everyone's wondering, how did you get involved in Bitcoin? That's the question that we always like to ask. Where did you first hear about Bitcoin or blockchain technology? And as a professor of finance, how long did it take you before you understood how important it really is? Well, I teach a course in international finance also. Mm -hmm. So this is not the only thing that I do. Okay. And uh, I had uh, a long hiatus from teaching uh, because I was the editor of the Journal of Finance, which is the, um, the main scientific journal in the field of finance. Okay. So I did that for seven years. And when I came back to teaching international finance, uh, I decided to scrap my old course notes and to start afresh. And one thing that I wanted to do, obviously, when you talk about international finance, you talk about currency mm -hmm. as part of that course. And I thought that it would be appropriate to talk about different types of currency, including commodity-based currencies like gold and uh, also cryptocurrency. Hmm. So it was at that time, uh, three years ago, that I decided to learn about uh, cryptocurrency. I knew something about cryptocurrency because actually digital currency has been around a long time. Okay. So the, these ideas have been floating around since the early 1980s hmm. uh, with a series of failures. Uh, and only recently has uh, any viable product uh, being able to hit the market. And that's with the coming of Bitcoin. With the coming of Bitcoin and all of the variants of Bitcoin afterwards. Right. Wow, this is great. So, you know, maybe you could give us a little bit of background for listeners who have not heard or read about um, the idea that digital currencies have been around for a while. Can you give us just a little brief background in that? And it kind of makes sense with uh, the advent of uh, electronic transactions before even uh, web browsers, you had the ability to, to send things electronically and certain uh, innovations like DigiCash were, were launched, but they were very clunky. Um, indeed, some of these products, uh, you could only spend like a five cent coin, a 25 cent coin, a 50 cent coin, and you'd have to basically make exact change for it to where there was no concept of change. Hmm. And of course, with all of these products that, are, that were very early, there were problems. And just think of this, uh, you wonder we've got paper currency and, uh, and, and, and basically, you worry often about counterfeiting that currency. Mm -hmm. But if you think of a digital currency, well, just like you can make an exact 
digital copy of a picture or a video file or a music file, you can make an exact digital copy of a currency. Mm -hmm. So it's a real problem if you can just uh, exactly a counterfeit. Mm -hmm. So so a lot of this early research dealt with this uh, problem of how do you ensure that something is spent only once. And again, all of the solutions were very clunky until um, the idea of the Bitcoin blockchain mm-hmm. arose and was implemented in early 2009. So when you're teaching your course, how do you start out like the first day of the course? Is this, uh, let me ask you first, is this an undergraduate course? No, this is a course for MBA students. Oh, for MBA there students? No, uh, there are no undergrads in the course. I do have some law students in the course. Okay. And in the past, I've had, um, in the past, I've had, you know, PhD students in computer science. I have uh, allowed some undergrads into the course in the past, uh, but these are outstanding uh, undergrads with uh, a specialization in mathematics and computer science. I see. Okay, so yeah, I'm trying to picture being in the course in the first day. Does the course have a part one and a part two in terms of semesters, or is it just a one-semester course that is evolving as you teach it? So as with all of the courses at the Duke Business School, mm-hmm. the course is conducted in an, a very short period of time, six weeks. Okay. And there are two lectures a week, each one two hours and 15 minutes. So it's the equivalent of teaching basically a quarter um, over a six-week period. So it is extremely intense. Okay. And, and basically, the idea of the course is to generate ideas. So there is one major assignment that's due the last, uh, the last class of the term, and that is to pitch an idea for a new company that uses blockchain technology. So the only thing I require is uh, a 15-page pitch deck that's delivered to the class. Students work in groups, and often these groups are multidisciplinary. So you might have somebody with a tech background, somebody with a strategy or venture capital background, somebody with a law background. Hmm. Um, You put them together in a group, and their job is to come up with the best possible idea for a company and to pitch me and to pitch the class. Hmm. And essentially, that's your grade. Wow. Um, it's 75% of your grade. Wow, that's neat. Now, what have you seen some of your students take those ideas and bring them into the real world? Or what is done with those ideas afterwards? Because it sounds like certainly a lot of great ideas would be generated by the students. You're correct. So my course was a lot smaller last year. Uh, and I had some outstanding presentations. And interestingly, um, <laughs> a few weeks after two of the presentations, company launched um, two companies launched with exactly the ideas oh, that wow. my students were uh, presenting. Oh, wow. Uh, so they were, they were scooped, uh, but that's good, like in a way, because it, it shows that they were thinking about the right things. Yeah. And another project uh, is in process. The, the company has um, incorporated and is pursuing uh, the idea, which I, I can't really go into detail okay. uh, as to what the idea is because of IP concerns. Okay. Um, I've met with many of my student groups this year, and I thought the maybe it'd be a little scarcer given there's so many companies working on uh, on ideas in this space. And indeed, yesterday we had the CEO of uh, Consensus, okay, um, Joseph Lupin, 
And he must have put up like 15 different um, small firms that are working on ideas in the space. So I was a little concerned that maybe there's going to be scarcity of ideas and <laughs> right. student groups will be coming to me. Hey, I don't have an idea. But it's totally not the case. Wow. Um, the last meeting I had with the student group, they came with five ideas. Each idea was viable, each one. Wow. So the question was not whether there is an idea. We have to pick one. Which one do we pick? Hmm. And they were all outstanding. And this is just one group. I've got 18 different groups this year. Well, that is amazing. Now, you know, those ideas that were scooped, you said, is there a mole in the classroom or how, how did this? No, no, that obviously, <laughs> and this is how it works in venture capital all of the time. At any point in time, if the idea is a good idea, there is the possibility multiple uh, people are working on it at the same time. Sure. So that just happens. Uh, and you shouldn't really be concerned about it. So there's many companies working on the same idea. That doesn't mean that you're knocked out. Right. Um, and when I say scooped, uh, it, it doesn't mean that my students couldn't form a company and be successful. Right. Um, but it is kind of a validation that the quality of ideas that were generated in the class were the type of ideas that are viable to be funded. To be funded, uh, right. In the real world. This is a lot different than uh, a, a term essay <laughs> right. that you're used to in, in, in college. Yeah. This is, this is a completely different game. So what I'm demanding is, is rigor, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, as you would expect from a top university like Duke. Yeah. Um, and... I'm also requiring an idea that is viable that could turn into a real company. Yeah. So that level of standard is a lot higher uh, than the usual level. It's a different standard. I see. I guess the next thing that comes to mind is, do you have any students that have gone on, that have graduated and that have taken what you've taught them and these ideas and gone on to work for a startup in this space uh, or to start their own startup in this space? Well, again, I taught this last year, mm -hmm. so I really only have 12 months of history, or, or even less than that, um, 11 months of history. And yes, uh, one of my groups uh, last year has gone to start up a real company, Wow! and other people have gone into the space. So there's two possibilities. Um, one possibility is you do, do it on your own, mm -hmm. and the other possibility is you join up uh, with a company in the space. And there's also a third possibility where you go to work for a company that's not in the space that wants to be uh, present in the case. Mm -hmm. So so indeed, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, two years ago, uh, when I just did one lecture on this in international finance, uh, um, one of my students was was very interested and continued um, his his study. I did an independent study with him. He wrote a paper on on blockchain and its application in the financial services industry. Hmm. He he took a regular job at a well known uh, firm in in finance, and uh, somebody found out that he wrote this paper because I post everything on my uh, internet uh, site, and all of a sudden. He's the go-to person oh, as, wow. as the most junior person in a multi-billion dollar organization. He all of a sudden is the go-to person on blockchain. Wow. It is completely uh, not what you expect in terms of the mobility that you've got to go from the, the very entry level position 
to all of a sudden talking to the very top people uh, about something they really want to know about and they don't understand. And often they're too embarrassed um, to ask the basic questions. Mm -hmm. So my students have a lot of power. Most of them actually don't do a startup. They do uh, what I'm suggesting. They go into a firm that potentially could um, be either disrupted by blockchain technology or could be a disruptor. Wow. So let me ask you about your students. What kind of background do most of your students have? You said they have a variety of backgrounds, but what kind of tech background do your students have? Do you find that any of your students have been in the Bitcoin space, you know, for a number of years and that's why they're taking the course or they're taking the course because they're just fascinated by it or they've heard from somebody that it would be a good thing to have on their resume? What kind of students are you seeing coming into the class, signing up for the class? It is a wide variety of backgrounds. And indeed, when the students enroll, I ask them why. Hmm. So there's a form, a Google form that's sent out. And there's some students, as you said, that have a tech background, that have been in the space a while. There are some students with a, a degree in computer science that know a little bit about it, but want to learn more about it uh, because it's related to their field. Mm -hmm. There's some students that have some familiarity that take a little bit of computer science, but no uh, specialization. And then most of the class does not have a technical background. Hmm. And they just believe that uh, this is an innovative technology. They want to understand, they're all very smart, right? To get into a, a top business school is very difficult. Mm -hmm. So they are able to learn what is going on and have an understanding at a fairly high level of the technology. And they understand the following. The following is that you can have a great idea and you can have a group at a startup uh, with incredible technical background. Mm-hmm. And that idea could fail yeah. because there's more to it than just the technical background. You need to have some experience in actually uh, taking the technical ideas and turning them into a viable business. Mm -hmm. So there's a good market for very smart um, business school students that understand and appreciate the technology, know the strengths of the technology as well as the weaknesses, mm -hmm. have a sense of where the space is going in the future, and also have a sense of how to take an idea to the market, nice. to know all of the strategic issues and uh, to be able to develop a business plan and run a business. So this is a good market um, for uh, a wide swath of students. Well, wow. now let me ask you, coming into the course, do the students with a tech background have an advantage over the students that do not have any tech background? Well, there's so many different aspects uh, to this space. So yes, that if you've got a computer science background, and when we're talking about the particular mechanics of, for example, cryptographic hashing, mm -hmm. which is uh, important for how the blockchain works, that material is fairly easy for the students that have uh, a technical computer science background. Mm -hmm. But there's plenty of other things where I've got some students with a, a legal background. So they 
uh, have an advantage when we're talking about the regulatory environment and the people with a technical background have a disadvantage. I've got students that have got experience in uh, venture capital. Mm-hmm. They, when we're talking about how to start a business up, have an advantage in that area over the people that have a legal background or a technical background. So it is a, a portfolio uh, of different backgrounds in my course, and that is exactly how a successful startup also needs to operate. Hmm. You just can't have one specialization. You need to have a portfolio of skills uh, to make your firm viable. So in a way, my class mimics what um, the startup should actually look like. And indeed, my student groups, as I said, are diversified. They've got people from venture, people from tech, people from legal, and you put that together and it maximizes the chance that the idea that you're proposing uh, could be a viable idea. It's going to fly. Yeah, you know, I've been in the Bitcoin sphere, as I call it, um, since 2011, and I've seen a lot of guys that have, you know, some amazing technical skills, computer science skills, try to start a startup, and what they were lacking was just, you know, broadly speaking, communication skills. And yes. that has and really hurt them. And then you see that they're no longer there. They failed. You know, that's sad to that's see. That's right. So one thing that the MBA uh, programs are really good at is uh, focusing on communication. Hmm. If you can't communicate, then uh, you need to find somebody that can communicate at least. Yes. So, so again, it, within a firm, you've got a, a portfolio of people and it's possible that you've got a very valuable employee, might be technically oriented, that has a real problem in communicating. That's not the person that you put in front of investors. Right. <laughs> so they need to have somebody that can communicate, and that person needs to be skilled enough to understand this, this space. And, and there are significant barriers to entry uh, in this space. And, and I should also emphasize, and this is important, my course is called Crypto Ventures. And while it's crucial to understand Bitcoin and uh, Bitcoin blockchain, there's also considerable emphasis in the course on alternative blockchains. So these might be alternative blockchains like Ethereum, or they might be private blockchains, uh, for example, the R3 CEV Mm -hmm. uh, blockchain. So the the common thing in my course is blockchain, Mm -hmm. uh, but this is not, I would not consider this uh, a Bitcoin course. Sometimes uh, it's mentioned in the media, Duke is teaching a Bitcoin course, and my students uh, chuckle at that uh, because my course is much more uh, than Bitcoin, even though Bitcoin is kind of the foundational technology. This episode of Bitcoins and Gravy is brought to you by our good friends at MoonshineBootWax.com. Made by hand in small batches right here in East Nashville, Tennessee, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is the original, all-natural, non-toxic boot wax with a scent of orange. Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is a proprietary blend of American beeswax and other fine, all-natural ingredients. It's specially formulated to feed and protect your leather while also offering an excellent, long-lasting shine. 
Whether it's your cowboy boots, your expensive wing tips, or your wife's favorite pumps, Moonshine Boot Wax is a must-have for gentlemen who care about their appearance. Moonshine Boot Wax is proud to partner with Community Food Advocates, a nonprofit organization working to end hunger by creating a healthy, just, and sustainable food system. Together with Community Food Advocates, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax is making a positive difference in the Nashville community, one shine at a time. You can buy your very own four ounce tin today by going to moonshinebootwax.com. And best of all, you can pay using Bitcoin. Yeah, so, you know, in the Bitcoin world, there are people who look at R3, I'll just call them R3, the banking consortium led by Bank of America, if, you know, if you will. They look at that entity as the evil blockchain, right? They don't know what they're doing. They still want things to be centralized. They still want to be able to control people's money. They still want to be able to invest people's money and to leverage the money in such a way that can lead to some really bad things in the economy, right? Crashes and things like that. But, you know, I don't necessarily look at it that way. I don't really know how R3 is going to work. I don't know if it's going to be a closed system that's going to be you know, banks working together. I don't know historically how well banks, you know, a variety of banks can work together or if it's just going to be really a, the top dog is going to be working to eliminate the lower ranks. I have no idea how all of that is going to play out when it comes to the banks and their blockchain technology. But what's the feeling that you have or that your students have or that you give to your students about blockchain technology generally obviously you're not just concentrating on bitcoin you know you're trying to look at it broadly because it's the technology that's the most important thing not whether or not <laughs> you're holding bitcoins and you want the value to go up or you're invested as one of the players in the bank of america r3 consortium give me your thoughts on that if you would so it's crucial in my course uh to be skeptical so I'm uh, an academic, uh, I'm a researcher, and, and in scientific research, you're always skeptical, mm -hmm. you're always questioning. And my students are also skeptical. And, and that's a very good quality. So you're always asking questions. So yes, we do have Bitcoin and Bitcoin blockchain. It's by far the largest in terms of at least the capitalization, the hashing power behind the network. Um, there's some great ideas there, but my students are skeptical. Uh, there are issues in terms of uh, the future innovation within the Bitcoin space because it is so difficult to make uh, what appears to be uh, trivial changes where you increase the size of a block from one megabyte to two megabyte. So that takes up so much discussion and, mm -hmm. and so much um, stress that look ahead uh, towards the other things that are necessary in terms of transforming that technology to be more general purpose to allow for example, conditional contracts and, and things like this, that, that it's reasonable to look beyond uh, the Bitcoin blockchain, look at the competitors, in particular, um, Ethereum is something that needs to be reckoned with. Mm -hmm. It is a public blockchain. It is a different technology, but it allows for 
the programming of conditional contracts, it allows for blocks that are uh, delivered every 15 seconds, not every 10 minutes or even longer than that, as in the Bitcoin blockchain. Mm -hmm. So there are, are competitors out there that we don't know exactly what's going to happen. Um, but we need to consider seriously these competitors. Now, you mentioned um, R3. Yes, consortium of 42 banks. Mm -hmm. There are some people that say, well, uh, we don't like R3 because we don't like the big banks. Right. Well, that is not an argument against the technology of R3. Right. That's just a political view. Yes. So, or uh, ad hominem attacks. Well, R3, R3's technologists are not as smart as block streams. Right. Well, you know, that, that to me, uh, that's not a debate over the merit of the idea. And their idea is, is very simple, and that is that it is incredibly inefficient today to have all of the banks having their own ledgers and having this complex communication between all of the banks' different ledgers and all of the customers' different connections with all of the different banks. It is a mess. Mm -hmm. The IT uh, cost um, for global banks is about $200 billion a year. And it is a mess. Wow. <laughs> and it's so hard to actually change that technology. They've got old code, you know, 20, 25-year-old COBOL and APL <laughs> and programming languages that are just like the, way in the past. Right. And it's very difficult to change. Today, we routinely trust the banks for doing um, transactions. And it is obviously very frustrating if you've ever tried to wire money somewhere. Oh, it yeah. takes days yep. for this to happen. It's even if you're transferring money uh, within one account, like to another within one bank, yeah. that takes uh, a long time to actually clear too. So there is plenty of room for somebody to come in like R3 and say, well, we're going to basically have a decentralized ledger for all of these banks, one ledger rather than 42. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not going to be public. It's going to be permissioned. Mm -hmm. So only certain people can write. It is a blockchain because it's got the features of it's distributed. Mm -hmm. So if one ledger at one bank was compromised, um, whatever was compromised would be just ignored uh, by the network of the other 41. Mm -hmm. And the, the 42nd bank ledger would be refreshed with the uh, majority ledger. Mm -hmm. It's got uh, the property that you write only so you can only add to the ledger. So it's not just a database. Right. Like um, a it's ledger. an add-only technology. And number three, it's cryptographically secured in blocks um, with uh, cryptographic hashes, just like uh, the Bitcoin blockchain um, is secured with the same technology. Mm -hmm. So this is a private permissioned um, ledger that uh, you can censor. The 42 banks uh, have full censorship. But the issue is, it comes down to this. In certain applications, it's fine to have a trustless ledger, a public transparent ledger that anybody can transact on and anybody can verify transactions. In other applications, it might be more reasonable to focus on a private blockchain that has got many of the features 
of uh, a public blockchain in terms of the cryptographic security, but is not open. Right. So I think that these ideas are viable. I would prefer to debate on the strengths and the weaknesses of private blockchain versus public blockchain rather than uh, descend into this ad hominem uh, sort of uh, silliness. I agree. And I think the fear that some people have in the Bitcoin sphere, and, you know, there are people that are very passionate about their politics or about their, you know, school of economics that they believe in. I think a fear that people have is that the banks or, you know, some entity is going to have their own blockchain that then has its own currency and that everything basically just happens as it always has happened, such that people are shut out in a certain way. You know, for instance, right now, banks can still make money. Governments can still do, you know, whatever they do working with banks. And yet right now you really don't have an option of putting money in a bank and earning any savings. And so, you know, I think people are afraid that if banks have the blockchain technology and then if they, you know, go a step further and create their own currency and that all of a sudden becomes what everybody has to use, then these banks and the governments working together can have even more control over economies than they currently have and, you know, giving people less options than they currently have. You know, we're now talking about negative interest rates. A bank is a custodian for your savings. Of course, we know that, you know, it's a custodial model. It's been proven that banks can rob from people if they're incorporated by the government or whatever. We've seen all kinds of things with banks in the history of the world, right? But I think that's the fear that people have is that things might end up being worse than they are right now. The banks would have more power using these technologies. I think that's the fear in the bit sphere. Yeah, and it is a difficult space uh, because there are many barriers to entry and Many people have heard of blockchain. They think blockchain equals Bitcoin. That's just not true. They think, for example, that blockchain must have a cryptocurrency affiliated with it. And that's not true. So they think that, well, oh, these 42 banks are working with R3. They're going to create um, a cryptocurrency and, and, and basically screw the consumers. Well, you don't need a cryptocurrency if it's a private blockchain. You, the crypto is used to pay uh, people for verifying and, and adding blocks, right. the miners. That's right. So if you've got a certified person or people that are kind of the verifiers of transactions, and who knows who could, that could be? That could be maybe the um, PWCs, the Deloitte's uh, yeah. of the world. Maybe that is their new function. Uh, in this world of multiple blockchains, that they're kind of the verifier, the third parties. Uh, it, it, traditionally, they've been in public accounting firms. Maybe right. this is a different way for them to do their business. There's many different models here. And when a technology is young, um, there is obviously a lot of uncertainty and a lot of misinformation, a lot of disagreement over stuff that maybe isn't even a disagreement. It's just that people don't understand uh, some of the basics. So I think that's an issue. On the other side, there is this political uh, issue that uh, you've got this perception that the banks have served us very poorly. Uh, they constantly get bailed out. Uh, all they're doing is trying to protect their turf. And I guess my opinion here is, yes, they actually do want to make money, just like any other 
uh, for-profit uh, corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, however, they fully realize that the economic model that they've been working with uh, really over the last hundred years is at risk. Yeah. And costs are going to come down to the consumer very dramatically. You mentioned, well, they can't pay uh, any interest on, on a savings deposit. Well, as I said, they're paying $200 billion a year on IT alone. Sure. So if you make those processes more efficient, then some of this can actually be passed on to the consumer. And that's a good thing. And the banks realize they have to do something or they will be completely disrupted by outside technology. So Silicon Valley that is threatening Wall Street right now, the banks absolutely know this. They have to do something, even if it means, even if it means substantial erosion of their traditional business. They would rather be a bank half the size of the size that they are today than be a bank that is out of business. Yeah. So that's the call you have to make. Are we going to be in business or are we going to look at this technology that is brutally disruptive for what we're doing? It is the low hanging fruit, the financial services industry yeah. in terms of blockchain. Are we going to ignore this or are we going to embrace it and see what we can do to preserve the value for our shareholders? Yeah, and what I keep saying is, man, it took them long enough, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, still, I know that there are tech guys and gals that are being hired right now, and the people that are hiring them don't really know <laughs> what it's about yet. It's like hiring people to develop a website in the early days of the Internet and then assuming that as soon as your website launched, somehow magically people would start appearing and buying from your site online. Well, the only problem was people didn't know how to find them. That's a whole other subject how do you you know get recognized on the internet how do people find your website so there was a lot of misunderstanding starting out in the early days of the internet of course and i think we're seeing the same thing but i think they're getting grasp on it pretty quickly i mean r3 is basically leading the charge and that's going to change banking as we know it which pretty amazing times we're living in you know especially considering just go back you know what six years and none of us ever could have imagined any of this right well, not just six years. Uh, you go back two years, I would say. Yeah. Uh, and just by the way, it's not just R3. You have to look at DAH, Hyperledger. Yeah. Um, they're in the same space. There will be other firms in this space yep. uh, very quickly. So it's, it's to me, uh, we're in this phase, this early phase of disruption, people waking up to it. They're scrambling, trying to do something. They're buying talent. They're buying firms. You're trying to hedge. Uh, it's very difficult to figure out what the landscape will look like in the future. Obviously, it's going to be substantially different than today. So the old model uh, of, of banking will probably be thrown out. Yeah, I think so. I think it's pretty exciting times, really. So when your students start the course the first day that they come in, what are some of the very first things you say to them to introduce them to this whole idea? Because some of them coming in, maybe don't really even know what it is. That's correct. So what I do in my course is I hit them hard right at the beginning. So what I do is go through the technical parts of this first. Um, The first half of the first lecture, I do a presentation on blockchain Mm -hmm. that is a fairly high-level presentation 
that is designed, I've, I've given this presentation many times to many companies um, around the world, um, and it, it's for fairly senior executives uh, that are obviously very talented, that want to know about blockchain technology. And within this presentation, there's a number of things that my students will not fully appreciate. But we begin to develop a new vocabulary, um, especially for those that don't have the technical uh, background. And um, it is a teaser, in a way, for the first half of the first lecture, but they get the big picture of what's going on. And it's very vague to them. They kind of see what's going on, but they're not really sure of how it works. Mm. And then almost immediately, I launch into the mechanics of how the blockchain actually works. I then go deep into things like cryptographic hashing and how that works on a technical level. I go through how transactions work. I go through public keys and private keys, elliptic curve, uh, digital signature algorithms, RSA. They get hit very hard with a lot of technical stuff at the beginning. And even when they're being hit, um, they... Um, they get some of it, but not all of it. And then we start talking about applications. And once we start talking about applications, uh, a lot of the technical stuff begins to make sense. Hmm. So in a way, it's no different than any other course at an academic institution where you can do the theory first and then the application uh, second. So we've gone through uh, the theory and now we're in the application stage. And my students are, are beginning to get it. I tell them that if they think they totally understand this, then they're uh, mistaken. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true of anybody in the space. Even Andreas Antonopoulos says he continues to learn every day yes. you know, new aspects of it. So let me ask you, was it you that approached Duke University? How did that happen? How did that relationship form? It is my initiative, okay. uh, and indeed, it is a complex process to go and get a new course yeah. approved. So um, last year, this course was offered by the university rather than the business school, even though some business school students attended the course. Okay. Um, this year, it is a course that is offered within the Fuqua School of Business, and uh, I believe um, that it is the only course that is devoted to blockchain that is taught at any top business school in the world. Wow. So my students are, are proud to have um, the experience of that. It's something that uh, differentiates Duke from other institutions. There's certainly nothing like this at Harvard or Stanford or MIT. Yeah, that's impressive. That is really, really neat. And uh, I'm sure, of course, you know, if we were to talk five years from now, that would be very different, obviously. Yes, I've been contacted by colleagues at uh, many of these top institutions that want my uh, teaching notes. Oh, wow. The problem with it is that the teaching notes I used last year are obsolete. Oh, wow. <laughs> so this year, it's it's so different. Wow. So you think about it, last year there wasn't Ethereum. Right. And all of a sudden, it's the second most important crypto. Right. Uh, it launches July 2015. Yeah. So the content of the course evolves very rapidly. 
Yeah, other than Ethereum as a viable blockchain, what are some other blockchains that you see great promise in? Well, again, all these firms formed after uh, my course, like R3. Right. Uh, so, and that's a very substantial uh, company. Yeah. So, indeed, during my course last year, Blockstream formed, and I was able to have a guest video conference with Austin Hill uh, last year. And so, again, even while the course is going on, uh, stuff is happening that, that you can't ignore. So this is not the sort of course where you design some lecture notes and you recycle them year after year. Right. <laughs> well, that is neat. Now, let me ask you, going back a couple of years, was there a time when people were thinking that you were a little bit nutty? <laughs> Family, friends, uh, colleagues? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think that's fair to say uh, that it was a common opinion, and it still is, actually, uh, a common opinion that Bitcoin is just uh, a bubble. Right. And uh, most of my colleagues actually believe that. I ran this year the, uh, the annual meetings of the American Finance Association. Hmm. And we got about 2,000 scientific papers submitted. Wow. And a, a very small number, uh, about uh, 10% make it onto the program. Mm -hmm. But given that I'm running it, I created uh, different buckets to submit to. For example, mutual funds might be a bucket. Okay. And one of the buckets I had um, was cryptocurrency and blockchains. Mm -hmm. And 2,000 submissions in zero papers on the topic of cryptocurrency and blockchain. Wow. Zero. So that gives you an idea of what my colleagues think of this. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, so, so one thing we do learn in the course is, and this is a widespread misperception, the, one of the basic things that we learn is that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies actually are bubbles. So okay. they are absolutely bubbles if you understand what a bubble is. A bubble is something that has got value, but it doesn't have any fundamental associated with it. So, for example, um, the U.S. dollar mm -hmm. is also a bubble. It does not have anything, it's not collateralized directly. It's basically full faith of a government that who knows what will happen with it. The U.S. dollar's got value because people believe it's got value. And a cryptocurrency um, has value because people believe it has value. If people do not believe it has value, then it can go to zero. So all of these are bubbles. Um, that does not mean that they have no use because we work with bubbles all the time. Again, it's just a question of understanding people brush off, um, they brush off a cryptocurrency saying it's a bubble, but by the same argument, they should brush off um, a fiat currency. You know, when people say to me that, you know, Bitcoin's just a bubble, I say, well, actually it's two things. It's, you know, it's the first app that's sitting on top of this base level protocol. And that first app is currency, but different than just an app that sits on top of, you know, the internet base level protocols. This app actually is inextricably tied to the protocol itself. So a Bitcoin is actually tied to the blockchain so that if the blockchain ceased to exist somehow, Bitcoins would cease to exist. And if Bitcoins ceased to exist, the blockchain would cease to exist. So I think the thinking with some people is that, as the Bitcoin blockchain continues to be viable and you know have things stacked on top of it, 
um, it has that network effect. It's the grandfather uh, there that Bitcoin, the currency, will, of course, necessarily be there along for the ride. And it will always have some value in that it is inextricably tied to that base level protocol and that technology called the blockchain. Well, I actually disagree. Okay. So Bitcoin could uh, go to zero. It's just a fact. So uh, Bitcoin has only got value because people believe it's got value. Uh, if something happened, for example, uh, look, uh, there's many weaknesses within the Bitcoin structure. It could be that people go to a more innovative blockchain like Ethereum. So that's a weakness. There could be a compromise of the actual uh, protocol. For example, if there was a problem with the elliptic curve digital signature algorithm, uh, that would severely compromise uh, Bitcoin and the value could go to zero. Um, if the, even the, the, the hashing uh, protocols that are used in Bitcoin, if uh, a quantum computer uh, created uh, some issues, that could also uh, lead to the potential rewriting of, uh, of some recent blocks. Sure. So, so there are lots of risks here and we should know that there's a possibility that any of these uh, could go to zero. And sure. that's just the way it is with right. early ideas. So this is no different than any other innovation. Uh, some innovations work, some innovations don't work. I think that we will see a huge number of failures uh, in this space. Yes. And I don't know if Bitcoin will be one of them. Um, I have no idea. The one thing I do know with a high degree of confidence, is the basic idea behind this technology, the blockchain idea, is not going to go away. Right. I'm not sure what the incarnation will look like in the future. Mm -hmm. And uh, it could be uh, Bitcoin is a single currency in the world. Uh, it could be multiple currencies. Mm -hmm. It could be a system of barter. But the one thing that will be common will be this idea of blockchain. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, I, I agree with everything you said about the possibility of Bitcoin going to zero. I've always acknowledged that. And I always say that to people. They say, should I invest in Bitcoin? I say, well, if you want to, if you believe in it, if you know about the tech and you kind of understand, but certainly, you know, don't put into it more than you feel comfortable losing, right? Don't mortgage your house. and <laughs> Right. But, you know, I do think that uh, if Bitcoin continues to be a viable protocol um, that has utility, is what I mean. If we see 10 years from now, Bitcoin is still offering great utility for people that enough things have been stacked on it, that it is just still around. I think then uh, I can't say what the value of Bitcoin, the currency would then be the token, but I would imagine it would not be zero if the Bitcoin technology continues to, to do well. I would find it very hard to believe that the currency could even be zero. I think I'm just talking... Um that there's a, we can't put a zero probability on uh, some breakdown. That's right. It actually going to zero. Probabilistically, uh, I believe that it will not. Um, so I think Bitcoin will be around uh, for quite a while. But again, I'm not sure how it will uh, shake out in, in the future. So it could be one cryptocurrency, there could be millions of cryptocurrencies that are very easy to exchange with one another. Mm -hmm. um, or it might not even be a cryptocurrency. It might be goods. Hmm. So your wallet 
might actually have objects that you own. Again, it's kind of the modern day barter Hmm. uh, where you've got an object, somebody else um, has got an object, and there's a way to trade that on blockchain. And even if you don't have a match, there's a third party that does have a match, Hmm. and, and you could use it that way. So it's not clear how it will turn out, but the commonality is blockchain. Yeah, I like that. And it's really only limited by how creative people can be. So yeah, I think we're going to see many, many different currencies come and go. And then I think we'll see, you know, a basket of maybe 10 that are the big ones. But I think that, yeah, people could create their own currencies if they want to have a party some night, you know, to get into the party, you flash your currency or your currency allows you to get a couple of beers or a couple of drinks and listen to the band. So I think that the idea of using tokens, of using cryptocurrency is so much in its infancy that we really can't even conceive of what is coming and how creative people are going to get with these technologies. It's pretty exciting stuff. Agreed. So let me ask you one more question. Do you yourself have any investments in cryptocurrencies? So I don't speculate in uh, Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have a wallet that I set up for teaching purposes. Mm -hmm. And indeed, what we do in my course is that everybody is required to set up uh, before the first day of the course, uh, to set up a Coinbase um, app on their smartphone uh-huh. and request $10 for me. And then I, I seed $10 into their, uh, into their wallet uh, for this course. Okay. Um, that does seem extraordinary where I've got 76 students. It cost me $760, but yeah. <laughs> um, I bought uh, some Bitcoin for my course last year at about uh, $200, and I feel I'm just paying out the profit for my students. Wow. And anyways, at the end of the course, uh, we donate the money to the uh, business school. Oh, wow. That's really neat. All right. Well, Professor Harvey, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today. And I know that my listeners are going to love this episode. You know, it's just really exciting to hear about your course that you're teaching. And you sound from everything that you said and how you said it, you sound to me like an educator who is passionate about what you're teaching and that you are very thorough and really helping your students get a grasp of what is really one of the newest technologies and most exciting technologies that exist today. So, man, if I were a little bit younger, I'd head over and apply to Duke and try to get in your class or at least sit in. (laughs) Well, Well, thank you, John. Yeah, thank you. And I'll be in touch. And thanks again for taking time to interview. Okay, very good. Take care. Bye. Okay, bye. I'd like to thank my guest on today's show, Professor Campbell R. Harvey of the Fuqua School of Business at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. Professor Harvey, the work you are doing there at Duke University is indeed trendsetting, and I know in my heart and in my mind that the course you're teaching will be looked at by future generations as some of the most important work in finance education of the 21st century. Keep on keeping on, brother, and blazing that trail. And I'd like to thank my new sponsor, CryptoCompare.com, the absolute best resource on the Internet for discovering new, up-to-date information about the exciting and ever-changing world of cryptocurrencies. CryptoCompare.com, the best resource for cryptocurrency traders and investors. Bookmark it now. CryptoCompare.com. 
And on the subject of cryptocurrencies, I would like to take just a moment to warn all of my listeners once again about one of the biggest scams and Ponzi schemes currently being perpetrated around the world. Yes, once again, I am referring to new coin. Boo. I'll keep it brief. Do not, I repeat, do not invest in new coin. Don't do it. This scam has absolutely nothing to do with digital currencies or Bitcoin or anything tech related. Newcoin has already taken tens of millions of dollars out of people's pockets, dollars, euros, yen, you name it, with promises of a great return. Friends, listen, there simply does not exist a single cryptocurrency, including Bitcoin, that can promise any return at all. Right? So whenever you hear this kind of language being used, run. Don't walk away from the scam. That's right. New coin is a scam, and a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money. A lot of people sadly already have. With any luck, the perpetrators of this scam coin will be caught and tried accordingly. Once again, I would like to publicly reprimand Michael Marquardt, who goes by the name of Thamos on Reddit, not to be confused with Thermos, the thing that you put hot liquids in when you go off to work at the factory. Michael, you have done a great deal of damage to the Bitcoin community with your censorship and manipulation of information and communications that would have otherwise been open and honest. Yes, were it not for your dishonesty and your complete lack of integrity. I therefore state again for all to hear my third challenge to you, Thamos. Sir, and I use that term extremely loosely, I challenge you to a public boxing match that all the world might see good beating the snot out of evil. That would be me beating the snot out of you. And an extra special thanks to our sponsor, Moonshine Cowboy Boot Wax. The original, all-natural, non-toxic boot wax with a scent of orange. The Nashville Wax Company is now offering Moonshine Biker Boot Wax. Yes, the same high-quality boot wax now available in black. Their newest product is now also available at 15 different fine retail outlets in the Nashville area, including the shops at the Nashville airport. To order a tin of your very own without even getting up out of your chair, just go to moonshinebootwax.com. Use your credit card, your debit card, or better yet, pay the modern way with Bitcoin. That's right, Bitcoin, the modern way to pay. And a shout out to the Bitcoins and Gravy freelance transcriptionist extraordinaire for his excellent and highly accurate work. To get in touch with the freelance transcriptionist, just head over to www.diaryofafreelancetranscriptionist.com. And finally, I'd like to thank my loyal listeners. That's you for tuning in and for giving me such great feedback about the show. Your comments in the show notes are always appreciated, as are the tips that you send to my Bitcoin wallet. Hey, I'm a hardworking guy with two jobs without a lot of money, so every little bit counts. Even a 50-cent tip sent to my wallet goes a long way to making me feel that doing this job on a volunteer basis is worth it. It also helps keep the lights on and coffee in the kettle. Signing off now from Nashville, Tennessee, the Bitcoin epicenter of the South, I'm John Barrett, the host of Bitcoins and Gravy, here each week with my trusty dog, Maxwell, by my side. 
Say goodbye, Maxwell. <laughs> Until next week, friends, remember that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. Do something, y'all, and be proud of it. Now climb aboard, y'all. This train is bound for glory. And there's plenty of room for all. Well, Satoshi Nakamoto, that's a name I love to say. And we don't know much about him, but he came to save the day. When he wrote about the way things are and the way things ought to be, he gave us all a protocol this world had never seen. A bit Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain Oh, Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, gonna rain Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name Down the road it will be told about the death of old Mount Gox About traders trading altar coins and miners mining blocks But them good old boys back in Illinois and on down through Tennessee See, they don't care to be a millionaire, they're just wanting to be free Oh, Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain Oh, Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name A promise to deliver us from age-old tyranny A Bitcoin as you're going into the old blockchain A Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, gonna rain Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your Give me some exposure Everybody knows your name, sing it Oh Lord, pass me some more Oh, Lord, before I have to go We have front row seats in the development of a historic technology that is doing things that have never been done before. And every day that goes by, I just feel amazed at, at having this opportunity to be frontline observer and sometimes influencer in what is turning out to be perhaps a historic generational worldwide impactful disruptive change in technology one that will create history and that is an amazing feeling 
I know that it may sound absurd, but I have for you a magic word. And today's magic word is Duke. D-U-K-E. Duke, as in the sentence, Earl, 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 Duke of Earl, 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 Duke of Earl, 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 Duke of Earl, Shamalama, Shamalama, Bitcoin, yeah. <laughs>